Lord God, as we hear this very important reading this morning, uh, we ask for your very clear voice to speak to us this morning and that we would respond completely and absolutely in your will. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, If we move to the next slide, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this little story. There was a man called Kim Jong-hoon. And Kim Jong-hoon in uh, 2009 was, uh, he he was really on the edge of greatness, okay? Because for only the second time in their history, and the other time was 1966, I think, but when they got to the quarterfinal, but for only the second time in their history, North Korea qualified for the, the World Cup and the World Cup to be in uh, South Africa in 2010. And in the first match at the World Cup, he managed to, to lead North Korea to a defeat, but only a 2-1 defeat to the five-time world champions, Brazil. And because this seemed like such an incredibly positive result, imagine North Korea only losing 2-1 uh, to the mighty Brazil. Well, North Korea made a decision they threw caution to the wind and they lifted their ban on broadcasting for international football matches. And suddenly, the people of North Korea were able to see their team playing. Uh, unfortunately, things went downhill because in the next match, they played Portugal and lost 7-0. Okay, not good. And then the next match, they lost 3-0 against the Ivory Coast. So it was like as soon as they lifted that TV ban, the team started to do terribly. Uh, The slightly sad part of this story is that uh, Kim Jong-un was uh, summoned back to Pyongyang. Uh, He was exiled from the party, and he was actually sent to work as a forced laborer on one of the government's construction sites. And there's some evidence that some of the players did as well. Uh, Clearly, uh, insecure dictators do not like to be beaten uh, 10-0 in the front of the world and in front of their nation. And what we're going to see this morning is that not only did the North Koreans lose on aggregate 10-0 in front of their own people, but that actually uh, Pharaoh lost 10-0 in front of his own people uh, in the plagues. Uh, I really want you to see this morning, I hope this is uh, nice and clear, I want you to see that these plagues are not random things. They're not random things. Uh, It was only a few years ago when I bought a pair of glasses. Okay, this is the point we'll all look at our glasses, right? Um, And there was a a word on the side of my glasses called Osiris, okay? Now, has anybody got Osiris written on their glasses? You probably don't want to tell me that you do, to be honest. But I had this word written on the side of my glasses, and one day I thought, I wonder what that word means, okay? And here's what it actually does mean. He's all looked at your glasses. I love it. Okay, here's what it actually does mean. It's the harvest god of Egypt. Okay? Small g, of course, okay? But Osiris, the harvest god of Egypt. And don't go too mad or else you'll throw out your Nike trainers. Uh, but we'll not talk about that this morning. Okay? Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because it says in, uh, in Exodus 12, verse 12. Now, just to point out that these plagues are not random. God says, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Moses tells us in Numbers 33 
that through these plagues, the Lord brought judgment on their gods. See, these things are not random. God is attacking not only the Pharaoh's control, but the actual sort of uh, hierarchy of divine amongst Egyptian society, of which there are a lot, not only good old Osiris. So let me give you a few examples. In fact, I'll give you all the examples. If we move to the next slide, uh, hopefully we'll see uh, all these plagues up here. Um, but of course, we, we begin with Egypt worshipping someone, uh, a god called Happy, uh, the god of the river Nile. They sang hymns about Happy. It is his power that creates everything. None can live without him. And the Lord destroyed happy, in a sense, when the first plague turned the Nile into blood. Next, he he turned to the frog goddess Heket and demonstrated that he was the true Lord of the frogs with a plague of frogs. He directed his third and fourth plagues against the creator god Amun and the beetle god Kefri. Uh, by terrorizing the Egyptians with dense worms of insects and gnats. Um, Even the the actual court magicians of Egypt were forced to concede that the God of the Hebrews was beside all these disasters. Right now we're 4-0 to Yahweh. Um, The fifth plague struck the Egyptians' livestock, and that exposed the inability of the bull god Apis, the cow goddess Hathor, and the ram god, Knum, to save them. The sixth plague of boils uh, defeated the magic god, Thoth, and the magic and healing goddess, Isis. Isn't that interesting one? Uh, that the magicians could no longer appear before Pharaoh after that because even they were covered in boils. Then the seventh and eighth plagues discovered, de- sorry, defeated the sky goddess, Nut, and the storm god, Set, and the fertility god, Min, also their harvest god Osiris, the locust-headed harvest god Senhem. Uh, by the time the ninth plague exposed the weakness of the sun god Amun-Ra when the moon went dark. Okay, so up to now we are 9-0, okay, 9-0 against the gods of Egypt. Those top row were all defeated and four of the bottom row are defeated and so we come to the 10th goal, okay? Now, Liverpool have had a bad season, but one game they won 9-0, and they tried so hard to score the 10th, they should have saved some of those goals for some other games, but um, we are 9-0 now, and God is about to score the 10th, and in many ways, the 10th is the one that we, as 21st century people, struggle with the most, because we are moving towards the death of the firstborn. Now, this is no surprise. Uh, It's no sort of uh, sting in the tail that no one was expecting because right at the very beginning of uh, Moses' dialogue with Pharaoh, he said this. This is in Exodus 4, verse 20. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let my son go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, now this is uncomfortable for us to read, I guess, uh, from where we stand. All nine gods have been destroyed. Why now move to the death of the firstborn? Well, I think we've already said 
that in uh, Egyptian society, the Pharaoh was God and so was his son. So the Pharaoh was divine and so was his firstborn son. That's part of the reason that God comes and he says, you have been uh, tormenting my child, Israel, for hundreds of years. You've been uh, hurting, killing, sacrificing, abusing, torturing my child for hundreds of years. And if you do not relent, I will take away your firstborn son. That's what's said right at the very beginning of this dialogue. Israel is his chosen people. In the same way as we now, as the new Israel, as Christians, are his chosen people. And I think it was Spurgeon who said that you would be better to offend a king than hurt one of his little ones. Speaking of us. And yet so many of his little ones today are hurt and persecuted across our world. Remember as well that Pharaoh, in order to destroy the Israelites, also told the midwives to kill baby boys as they came from the womb. And when that didn't work, remember that God, and this is really important for the communal responsibility here, God told the Egyptian people that they were then free themselves, if they saw a Hebrew baby, to throw it into the Nile. That is the society that we are dealing with here in Egypt. And as Emma said last week, at those six points in which Pharaoh's heart is hardened, that is the patience of God giving him chances to relent. At each of the ten plagues, nine times, Pharaoh is given a chance to turn around, but he refuses. And in order to free his people, none of these other plagues have moved the heart of Pharaoh. And even the tenth, we'll see next week, actually only temporarily causes him to relent in what he wants to do. So we move to this tenth plague. And this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, it is the culmination of God's ultimate victory in releasing Israel from Egypt. It's also the culmination of the ultimate victory that he is a greater God than all the gods of Egypt. And what we'll see in this ultimate victory and you think there's so many uh, beautiful cinema-like moments in this story, isn't it? Like the whole place going black, the, the gnats, all this sort of stuff, you know, the frogs everywhere. You can picture all these things uh, playing out in the cinema. But isn't it incredible that in the middle of all of these amazing things, including the opening of the Red Sea, all these wonderful moments, the pinnacle of the whole thing is a wee lamb. And we're going to see that just a, a little lamb who becomes so very important now exodus 12 verse 1 says the lord said to moses and aaron in the land of egypt this month shall be for you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year for you what god is saying is that what's going to happen this month is going to be worth resetting the calendar for and israel from here on in are going to reset their calendar to the month of Passover. I don't know if you're the same, but isn't uh, New Year's Eve always a real disappointment? Isn't it? You stay up 
uh, all night long and you see a few wee flashy lights on the screen at midnight and you just think, why on earth did I stay up for this? Uh, and in our house, very few people do stay up for it, but uh, sometimes I do. Um, but it's a waste of time. Well, listen, this reset of the calendar is worth staying up for because it is one of the most remarkable things that's happened in the history of our planet. Every household is to take a lamb, okay? Every household gets £600 these days, don't they? But, but here, every household is to take a lamb on the 10th of this new month. And that lamb is to actually be in their house. Isn't that an incredible thing? Uh, this lamb is to be in their house until the 14th of the month. And then at twilight on the 14th of the month, every Israelite, this whole community, uh, every family is meant to sacrifice this lamb. And then they're meant to take the, the blood of this lamb using hyssop, which is, is some Holy Week connotations that some of us maybe think of, but taking hyssop, they are meant to paint the doorposts and the lintel uh, with this blood. And then they're to go back into the house and they are to eat all of the lamb. Okay, I'm sure there's some of us here on Christmas Day where some of us are breasts, some of us are leg, all that sort of stuff. Okay, this all has to be eaten. This whole lamb has to be eaten. And whatever uh, they can manage to eat has to be burned the next day. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28, if we just move on to the next slide. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Okay? Now, why did he eat it by faith? Why did he keep it by faith? Well, we're told that when you ate it, you were meant to eat it with your, your sandals on, with your cloak on, with your belt tightened around your waist. Now, some of us, when we sit down to eat lamb, we loosen our belt a bit, don't we? Okay? But we were meant to tighten it around our waist. Why is that by faith? Because as these people uh, took this lamb into their homes for three or four days. As they killed this lamb, as they uh, put this blood on the doorpost, as they ate this lamb, they were meant to eat it with expectation that this was their moment of deliverance. That eating this lamb uh, was, was just another step towards what God was about to do in releasing them from Egypt. So they ate it with their shoes on and their belt tightened, ready to go. All dressed up and ready. Uh, there's a story of, a, of, a, of an old man. He's 80, and he's got a few pounds, so he goes out and he buys himself a Ferrari. Okay, we have some of those men in the, in the congregation this morning. Okay, uh, he buys himself a Ferrari. <laughs> there's a few waving at me. Okay, he buys himself a Ferrari, and he gets into the Ferrari, and he starts to rev it a bit, and he thinks, I'm going to have a week go with this, all right? So he puts the boot down, and he flies down the road, okay? And there's a highway patrolman comes up behind him, and he thinks, I'm faster than the highway patrolman. So he boots it even more. He goes faster and faster and faster. And eventually he thinks, what am I doing? He pulls over uh, at the side of the road. And the highway patrolman gets out, and he sees an 80-year-old man sitting behind the wheel of this Ferrari. And he says, oh, sir, he says, I am about to finish for the weekend. I'm about to finish in 30 minutes, okay? I'll tell you what, 
if you can give me an excuse that I've never heard before, okay, I'll let you off, okay? Well, the old man says, well, I saw you coming. Yeah, yeah, I did see you coming. But uh, actually, my wife left me for a highway patrol man 50 years ago, okay? And he said, I was terrified you were bringing her back. That's absolutely, that's absolutely terrible. So the man, he, he, got pa- he got passed over for that, okay? He got passed over for that, okay? Uh, and he got let off. I had that experience. I actually got off from Mana. I was going 36 in a 30-mile zone, and I got stopped. Isn't that terrible? Okay. And I, I, I thought he was going to let me off, but he, he did me. A few weeks later, I got a wee letter through the post due to a clerical error. I thought, clerical? Result? <laughs> Absolute result? Unbelievable. So, uh, it's sometimes, sometimes it's not nice to be passed over, but sometimes it's really, 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 really good to be passed over, isn't it? Sometimes it's really good to be passed over. Now, this night, and listen, our immersed group, we're reading Revelation at the moment. And it's so hard not to see the link between these two things, you know. Because in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 6, that these people are going to be marked, okay? They're going to be marked in a way that they will not be destroyed, okay? When the end of days comes, they'll be marked. Christians will be marked. And here, what we see is, the destroyer is released. And you read it one way and it's an angel and you read it another way and it's God himself, but it's the purposes of God. The destroyer is released into Egypt. And the only thing that matters as this destroyer is released is whether or not there is blood on the doors. Okay? So, you know, if you're a sophisticated Israelite who thinks, oh, this is just so old-fashioned and sort of primitive and I'm not doing this, you know, I'm a vegan or whatever, okay? Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a really sophisticated Israelite, well, listen, you don't put the blood in the door, you're just like an Egyptian, okay? They go in. And you know what? If you were a really, really faith-filled Egyptian and you looked and you saw what the Israelites were doing and you thought, listen, I, I've seen nine plagues. I'm going to put this blood on the door. Well, when the destroyer came, when this force, whatever this angel is that comes, if there's blood on the door, you're passed over. That's what we understand. This Passover happens a terrible night. And it's a night that restarted their calendar. It was always to be remembered. The night where God destroyed the the gods of Egypt. Defeated the gods of Egypt 10 nil. Defeated the Pharaoh 10 nil. And the Israelites were free. And they left with all the gold and silver of Egypt and they walked out. A night that restarted the calendar. And thousands of years later, it would be remembered at the Last Supper when Jesus, the Lamb of God, shared the Passover with his disciples. But Jesus himself is that Lamb. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we mustn't miss this. Uh, We'll have communion in Dollingtown next week, and we must be thinking of this when we have it. Um, Jesus is the one we take into our homes. He is the one whose blood we apply to our lives. He's the one we 
have to consume. You know, John 6, verse 66, everybody turned away when Jesus said this to the crowd, you've got to consume me. But we must uh, take the whole of Jesus into our lives, all his words, all that he asks us to do. He's the perfect lamb slain for me. Imagine you were the firstborn son in a house, an Israelite house in Egypt that night. Imagine you're eating your lamb. It'd be a bit different than when we eat lamb, wouldn't it? As you ate it thinking, if it wasn't for this, I'd be dead. What a mouthful. What a mouthful every time you take it going, this was for me. This is the the difference between life and death for me. You were substituted for Jesus. He paid because we couldn't. Only by his blood. Rescue from the angel of death didn't happen by a prayer or fasting or good works. It was accomplished by a life given on behalf of others. The lamb, Jesus Christ. Hopefully there's a slide there somewhere with a lamb on it. Um, Exodus 12 it goes on to say something really interesting. Uh, verses 14 to 20 of Exodus 12, it just constantly goes on about uh, something that would begin a feast of unleavened bread. Okay? So the way the calendar is now going to work is you're going to have Passover, and you're going to celebrate this feast, Passover, and then for seven days after, you are uh, not to eat leaven. Okay? Now, leaven in the Bible, many of you will know this, is a kind of another word for sin, in a sense. Okay? And this unleavened bread that they were going to eat for seven days was was really a call to holiness. And even today, um, sort of uh, Jewish children will do this thing called search and destroy, okay? Which is where uh, during this feast, they will go around and try and find leaven in their homes, and then it will be burned. Okay, it's like search and destroy thing they play. Um, and it's really important that I want you to see this. I want you to see that there's Passover where the blood of the lamb saved them from uh, the angel of death. And then we move into the feast of unleavened bread. We begin with salvation and then we move to holiness. That's the way it has to be. So if you're saved, but your life is not becoming holy, what it actually goes on to say in Exodus 12, further down, I think it's about verse 20, it says that if a person you know, has leaven in their homes, they should be expelled from the community. So it's really important that holiness comes after salvation. You know, And none of us will be perfect. All of us will have a few bits of leaven in our in the corners of our lives but we need to be moving towards this we're not supposed to be saved and stop we're meant to be saved and then move into holiness but by the same token if the angel of death had been released that night and somebody hadn't had the blood on their doorpost and the angel of death went in and they were eating unleavened bread and saying have you noticed how clean my house is that wouldn't have been good enough either Because salvation cannot be through sweeping the leaven out of your life. Salvation has to be only by the blood of Jesus. Nothing that we have done or we have chosen to do is accept what he has done. And then from there, we choose to live holy lives. That night, if there'd be no blood on the door, but you'd had a lovely clean home, no good. 
I'm sure Pharaoh's home was pretty clean, but it wasn't good. That night, it says there was a great cry in Egypt. I don't think any find it any easier than than you to read this passage about crying in Egypt as the firstborn are lost. And indeed, I can't imagine what it was like for Noah on the boat, knowing that the world were lost. And I, I take no pleasure in a sense. I look forward so much to the coming of Jesus as we read of in Revelation. But I, I take no pleasure in the idea that anyone would be lost who didn't choose to follow him. But that night, there's a great cry in Egypt. Up to now, it's been the Israelites crying, hasn't it? Crying out to God, first of all. Crying out to Pharaoh, second of all. But now, it's the Egyptians that cry. You know, there's a a, a website uh, called The Blood of the Martyrs. There's also another uh, website, Open Doors, that you can look at. The World Watch List you can look at where Christians are being persecuted. The reality is, many Christians today cry under the weight of persecution. Uh, And there's low-level persecution, obviously, in our society, but there's a much deeper persecution that goes on throughout our world. And the reality is, one day, their tears will be wiped away. But yet, there is a place, which is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place called hell. We need to be aware of that place and it needs to be on our hearts as we have heaven on our lips, as we share with people that the only way to avoid the weeping of eternity is to choose to follow Jesus. See, God God actually doesn't want even a single one of his little children to be lost. Not even a single one. He wants to redeem everyone. He wants to draw everyone to himself. It says that in Matthew. Not even a single one of his children does he want to be lost. If the church had as much passion for that as the Lord has, we would talk much more about salvation. Here's the question as we finish. How will we respond to the Almighty God? This God more powerful than all the gods of Egypt, more powerful than the mighty Pharaoh, more powerful than the empire of Egypt, how will we respond to him? Will we put our trust in the blood of the Lamb? Will we uh, put it on our doorposts? Will we use the Lord Jesus to define our lives? Will we consume everything he says, every single bit, believe his word, for everything it says. And will we put on our shoes and tighten our belts and get ready to walk? Will we then, having been saved, set our hearts on removing the leaven of our lives, removing sin from our lives? Does it restart our calendar that Jesus really did die for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? I just love the response that we see. Uh, Hopefully it's on the screen, guys. Uh, The response that we see 
from uh, the Israelites when they hear about this call to, uh, to do these things. Have I not got it, guys? Yeah. Exodus 12, 27 to 28. The people, they hear about this plan for the lamb and the blood, the eating, the sandals. And it says, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Folks, if we fully grasp what Jesus has done for us, we'll bow our heads and we'll worship. We'll do as he has commanded and we'll live for him. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite our band forward. Let's just be before the Lord a second. I think it's really important, just as we have our eyes closed, that we realize that we are, are, are not dealing with Mickey Mouse. We're not dealing with Ronald McDonald, okay? We're dealing with the God of the universe when we come here to worship him. We are dealing with a mighty God who is so far above us and above our minds, above our conception. He's so much more just and lovely than any human being. He is the mighty God. He is the God of angel armies. He is God Almighty. He is the first and the last, the living God. That is the one we stand before. We stand before a God who hates sin, but loves us, and he wants to rescue people from captivity and from sin's bondages. And he has demonstrated both his love and his justice on the cross as the perfect Lamb of God took away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. And before him, for the first time, maybe someone here would want to receive what he's done for them. To those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God not of our own merit, not of anything we've done, just our acceptance of his wonderful sacrifice. Someone here is just maybe joining with me and saying, Lord Jesus, I realize what I need. I realize what you've done. I accept your wonderful gift and I choose to live for you. And maybe there's others of us who have lost sight of what God has done. We have forgotten this mission 
of rescuing others. We've forgotten this mission of living holy lives. Let's become before, let's come before the Lord and let's say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I've forgotten. But today I remember and I'm thankful. Today I return to trusting in nothing but the blood of the Lamb. Today I return to the mission of sharing. Today I return to the calling of holiness. Today I stand in awe of a great God who has redeemed his people. Come, Lord Jesus. passage says they bowed their heads and worshipped. So let's worship as the first step of our obedience to him.